This is the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Hello, welcome. I'm Laura Reagan, LCSWC. I'm a clinical social worker in the Baltimore Annapolis area offering individual, family, and group psychotherapy as well as clinical supervision and consultation. And today I'm very pleased to have a guest who's here to talk to us about her work. Mercedes Samudio is a licensed clinical social worker in Huntington Beach, California, as well as a parent and family coach. So hi, thank you for being here. Hey, Laura, thank you for having me. Especially because it's like in the nine o'clock hour, your, your time, I'm at noon, so it's, you know, <laughs> a little more late in the day. Right. So um, Mercedes, can you tell us about what you do as a licensed clinical social worker and a family coach, family and parent coach? Yeah, so um, I do, like uh, Laura said, family and parent coaching as well as family therapy. And for family and parent coaching, what I tend to do is look at some of the more surface barriers and some of the behaviors that parents and families are kind of experiencing, like some of the recent things I've kind of had to deal with, like social media, managing like cell phones and Mm. iPads, things like that. So we're really just focusing on behaviors and trying to help families um, gain the strategies that they need to manage those behaviors. We're not really digging deep and doing too much deep work, just kind of staying on the surface um, when I do my family and parent coaching. With my family therapy, however, we do kind of start to dig a little deeper to understand kind of some of the family patterns, whether they be generational or current family patterns that have led a family to where they're at right now and what led a family pretty much to me. So we talk about things like, um, you know, the parents kind of history in their childhood. We talk about the child's kind of current issues, maybe with school, with peers and things like that, and kind of dig a little deeper to figure out what it is that is producing those barriers and try to find solutions to help them move past them. Awesome. So how do you do your coaching? Do you do it in person or online or? So I do both actually family therapy and my family coaching in home. Um, I find that when you're working with families in their home environment, they feel more relaxed and they feel a little bit more um, ready to do some of that work. Also, um, as the clinician, as the coach, I get to kind of see some of those family dynamics play out a little bit more realistically than if they try to reenact them in a, in a therapy room. So I kind of like doing the in-home services. That's wonderful. What a great benefit to your clients. So do you do coaching and therapy with the same families at times? No, I do not. So if I, when I do my initial consultation with families, um, I try to ask the right questions and do kind of a mini assessment to see kind of where they're at and what services would be good for them. Some families call me thinking they need therapy, but really after we talk, I realized that the coaching piece would be more beneficial to where they're at. And then again, some families call me with, oh, we just need coaching. And then we start talking. I'm like, "Mm, no, we might need to dig a little deeper there to find out what's going on. So once I decide whether they're a therapy or coaching client, that's what we do. And then if in the course of treatment, I realize that my coaching client needs therapy or my therapy client needs coaching, then I refer out to someone who can provide that service for them. Gotcha. Okay. So um, I know you have some webinars and things like that too. Is that right? I do have a few webinars. I've done, I think I want to say like two now that are up on my website. One, um, I talk about coping 
um, with meltdowns for children who are a little mm. bit older. So not toddler meltdowns, but those seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kind of meltdowns. And then I also have a webinar that I did um, last year, right before school started, um, talking about organizing for back to school. And I did that in, um, with um, a professional organizer who helps families get organized. Oh, nice. So people can see that on your website? Yes, they can. Great. And yeah. is it's the parenting skill.com. So T H E P A R E N T I N G S K I L L dot com. Great. And are those, is that um, like free content or is that purchase? It's completely free content. Right wow. Now. Yep. What a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important. And, you know, everyone says how um, children don't come with an instruction manual, but we, we think we know how to be parents. And I think for me, when my children were born, they're now um, 16 and 18. But when they were born, I really had no idea. I had my own thoughts about what I'd seen other parents do and how I didn't want to be like that. But, um, you know, it was more like my child will never throw a temper tantrum in a restaurant and, (laughs) you know, very unrealistic. So, um, I bought parenting books and subscribed to parenting magazines and, um, basically just did whatever it said (laughs) whenever I had a situation come up, I was like, okay, my magazine says do this. My book says do that. And otherwise I wouldn't have known what to do. So it's, um, but you know, sometimes it's much more complicated than what a book or magazine can help with. And, you know, having a person who can see what's happening and help you in the moment at home, that's just Mm -hmm. wonderful. But I think it's also great that you offer those um, webinars that people can see, even if they're not in Huntington Beach, and they can, you know, finding out how to cope with meltdowns when kids are older, you just think they're not going to have meltdowns. So exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons why I came up with that um, webinar, because a lot of kids I was seeing, yeah, they had, like, you know, when they get to be 10 and 11, the meltdowns look a little bit different than mm-hmm. when they're two, because like I say in the webinar, you know, kids are older and they have more language and they can say a lot more and they are a little bit more hurtful to their parents when they're having yes. those meltdowns. So it's hard to kind of hold them like you would when they were two, you can kind of pick them up, hold them and console them. But when they're 10 and 11, kind of maybe throwing some harsh words at you, it's kind of hard to hug them and hold them and help yeah. them Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to take away that sting of having them say something that you feel hurt by as a parent. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months.
So one thing I saw when I looked at your website, and I love this, was that you talked about how um, you, when you first started working with families, you thought you would teach the children coping skills, and um, that would make everything better. But then you realized that the parents are the ones who are, they're in charge of the house. They're leading everything. So without them, them making some changes, sometimes it's impossible to get the children to be able to do what the parents want them to. So can you say more about that? Sure. Yeah. I think when I started this work um, back in 2007, after undergrad, I was just like everybody else, you know, right at undergrad, I want to save the world, you know? So I came out there like, Oh, let me save the kids. And then I realized that while my kids were learning the coping skills and they were, you know, kind of getting a good mastery of them, the parents were still kind of producing the same environments that led to some of those barriers. And I realized that the parents needed some help too. And how to now that their child knows how to calm down, they needed kind of some help on how they can help themselves calm down and they can help themselves continue to move their child from, that anger and frustration and things like that that their child was displaying, the parent actually needed the tools too to kind of keep that going when I wasn't there. Um, And so I started looking at what is going on with family dynamics and that's kind of what I studied when I went to grad school. I was really focusing on family, family systems, family dynamics and how, like I mentioned earlier, like generational stuff, parents' childhood stuff, Mm -hmm. kind of each time what's going on in their own current parenting. And Realizing, too, that a family system, you know, it needs all the components to be working together, not just the parents and not just the kids, but everybody, yes. even the grandparents and the aunts who are there kind of to help you. They also all need to be kind of in the, on the same page and working well together in order for a family system to really thrive and survive. Exactly. A family is not any one person to change it. It's a team. It's everyone working together. Right. I love that. So, um one of the reasons why I asked you to do this interview today was that I saw a blog post you had put up about um, nonviolent communication. And I've heard about nonviolent communication. Some of the people who I know that use it, um, the way they handle conflicts is just so different from what most people do. And when I saw in your post that you use that in your teaching with parents, I'm just fascinated. So I want to ask you if you can talk about what is nonviolent communication? How did you get involved with it? And how um, you use it with families? <laughs> yeah, um, so I was first introduced to nonviolent communication, the idea of it and um, kind of the framework for it when I was in grad school. And I thought it was really interesting. And I didn't know that you could apply it to families um, until I found out about a parenting curriculum um, by Ruth Beaglehole called Nonviolent um, Child Raising. And when I took that course and, and got trained in that, cert- that certification for that parenting curriculum, I started to realize how important it was for families to really kind of use the nonviolent com- communication techniques in their family and how important it is for us all to kind of learn how to get our needs met and even know what our needs are in our families. Um, so nonviolent communication was developed by Marshall Rosenberg, and he developed it with the idea that like people need to just learn how to get their needs met, and that a lot of our miscommunication and disconnection comes from us not knowing how to get those needs met. So we're sleepy, we're hungry, we're having a bad day, and we don't know how to let the people closest to us know what's going on for us. We don't know how to tell them how we're feeling because of you know, whatever's going on because of distrust, because of disconnection, we don't know how to get our needs met. So we end up yelling, screaming, shutting down, hitting, you know, things like that. Because, again, we have these needs and we don't know what to say or how to tell someone what to, to do for us. 
Oh, it's so cool. I love that. Um, you know, it just, it relates so much to what I see with my clients and with, you know, I always talk about people having their emotional needs met during childhood. And if your emotional needs weren't met and you found another way to have them met, it might be through hitting or, you know, yelling or doing something to let people know, Hey, I'm hurting right now. Pay attention to me. And, um, and if you don't learn another way, that's just the only way you know how to communicate. So how do you teach that? What, what kinds of things do people do? So the first thing that I'll, I'll kind of say, too, I think when we talk about nonviolent communication, I think a lot of times people think about the physical piece of it. Mm-hmm. And people forget sometimes that violence shows up in other ways. So emotionally, um, mentally, things show up. So usually when I talk about it, I start off kind of with a definition of what nonviolence is. And the understanding that I have of it and, and the understanding that nonviolent communication kind of brings is that um, kind of being nonviolent is this idea of not doing anything that harms you physically, emotionally, and mentally. And it doesn't take away from your whole being. So that's the whole mm-hmm. idea of being nonviolent. Um, and so when you talk about that with parents, sometimes, you know, they can get a little defensive and, well, you know, I yelled and I don't want to take away from my child's whole being, you know, and <laughs> helping them understand that first and foremost, nonviolent kind of child raising and nonviolent communication is a daily practice. So it's not something that you learn and then you just do for the rest of your life. It's something that you constantly have to be aware of. And it's something that you constantly have to stop yourself and say, did I get, did I, did I say that as, you know, best as I could? Did I, did I get my need met or did I ask for my needs in an effective way? And that's a daily practice for everybody. Um, and I tell parents that, that when we're working on different ways to talk to our, our children, different ways to talk to ourselves, even, um, it's a daily practice. And there might be days when, the stress levels are really high and things don't always kind of come out as nicely or as delicately as you would want them to. But again, the idea that you can get back on track, the idea that you don't say, well, I screwed up, so I'm just going to keep yelling. But you say, okay, I did yell because, you know, everyone was coming home. It was, you know, really hectic. So how do I get back on track? You know, now I yelled at everybody to put all their, their shoes away when we got in, but now it's time for bedtime. And how do I kind of keep myself on track and get everybody calmed down and get everybody back to ready to kind of rest and stuff like that? So, I teach it in a way where it's, it's a step-by-step process, but it's also a daily practice. So that way families can build that self-empathy for themselves, mostly parents, because I know parents yes. are the ones tend to beat themselves up the most. And, and understand that in those times when you're doing it right, you're doing everything kind of on point, great. But in those times when you are having a really hard day because of whatever stressors have manifested through the day for you, you can still get back on track. I love that. So... Yeah. Um, I- can you, can you give, I don't know if this is weird to ask, but can you give an example of um, how someone would ask for their needs to be met using nonviolent communication? <laughs> no, I, I'm trying to think of one that um, I've dealt with recently. So I know one of the things that happens a lot are, are morning times. You know, mornings are usually really hectic no matter how old your child is. You know, so if they're younger, they kind of want to play. And if they're older, they kind of want to sleep, right? So <laughs> you're trying to get everybody yeah. out the door in the morning. And so what I would say is, let's say you have a, a 10-year-old, right? They're 10, so they're, they're not quite teenagers yet, but they're not babies either. So you assume as a parent that you can go in and say, hey, Laura, get up, it's time to go. And then you could go and finish what you're doing and they can get up and kind of start their morning. However, you come back five minutes later and, you know, Laura's still asleep. Like, sleep, not <laughs> getting up, she's still like the bed, you know. As a, as a nonviolent parent and you're trying, again, to have this daily practice of getting everyone out the door on time, you could maybe start off by saying, hey, Laura, I see that you're still sleeping. 
do you need more time? Because, you know, we do have to get out of the house in the next 30 minutes. What would you like right now? Do you need more time? Do you want me to come back and maybe give you a, another tap? What would you like? So Laura will probably say something like, give me another tap. So I'll say, okay, Laura, I'm going to set my timer on my phone for two minutes. I'm going to come in. I'm going to go get your brother really ready real quick, and I'll come back in two minutes. So you come back, and Laura's like, oh, I still need more time. I can't get up right now. <laughs> and so I say, you know, I can, I really understand your need to sleep in. And you know what? I understand. You know, mommy needs to sleep in, too. And your brother, if you can hear him in the other room, he, he, he needs to sleep more, too. But maybe can we try to maybe get up and just take that shower and start getting our you know, our teeth brushed and our clothes on because we do need to get off the school. And what I'll do is I'll kind of leave and let you do that. And I'll go do something else. So you come back, you know, now she's in the bathroom. She's kind of dragging her feet a little bit and she's brushing her teeth, but she's standing there just kind of like, (laughs) you know, Laura, it's, this is the third time that I've come in and I'll be honest with you. I'm starting to feel just a little frustrated right now because it's the third time that I've had to come in and I'm not really sure what I can do to help, you know, you kind of get ready this morning. Do you have any ideas of what you can do to kind of start getting yourself ready this morning? Because I am, just to be honest with you, I'm getting just a little frustrated right now. And I feel like we're going to be late and I'm getting a little stressed out because we're going to be late. And I don't, I'm not really sure right now. What do you think we need to do to kind of help expedite this a little bit? And you kind of start there. And if, and what I want to do is highlight where I'm at. I'm not yelling, I'm not screaming, but at the same time, I'm not deterring away from the fact that I am kind of getting frustrated. The third time I've had to come in here, you're 10 and I'm feeling like you should be able to kind of get yourself, at least have your pants on by now, at least have your (laughs) shoes on by now, you know? And so the idea is not that everybody does what you say right then, but this idea that you're honest, you say, you know what? I am getting a little frustrated. I am starting to get a little little stressed because we might be late because, you know, you still are here brushing your teeth and and your clothes aren't on yet. So this idea that you're having this dialogue, you know, with your kid, not just saying do as I say, but you're having this yeah. dialogue. Yeah. Um, so what I would probably say to that parent, too, who's struggling with that is to keep going that route, to be honest, say I'm feeling frustrated. How are you feeling? You know, what are you needing right now? Listening to their needs and saying, you know, it sounds like you need more sleep. So maybe what we can do is look at our sleep schedules and see kind of when we can go to bed. We can look at our morning schedule and see when I can start waking you up. Maybe you need a couple more times to be woken up. You know, you can start looking at things and not, it doesn't have to be this definitive. Everybody goes to sleep at eight. Everybody wakes up at six, but really starting to figure out what everyone needs and kind of trying to accommodate, not accommodate in a way that you are like kissing their butt, but accommodate it in a way that everyone's kind of needs are getting met because we all have to get out in the morning. When you said standing well, I cracked me up that she said Laura, but um, when he said she's standing in there and she's kind of like with the brushing the teeth, I hear that all the time with parents, you know, and also there's such frustration that the child doesn't get up. And, you know, I went away and I told you to get up and now it's, you know, I was doing what I needed to do. And now we're more late because I didn't have enough, you know, 15 minutes later, I came back and I can't believe you're still laying there. And, you know, the parent becomes so frustrated and you know, and then they feel like it's, um, it's just disrespectful disobedience versus just the kid is actually just tired, you know? And so, and how do you, what do you tell parents who, um, who worry that that will allow the child to think that somehow the parent's not in charge? Right. So one of the things that I I do start to do with the nonviolent communication and, and, and thinking about how we can do that in our families is that it's not so much about letting one 
somebody being charged. It's about this idea that we're all listening to each other's needs. And yeah. so I put it that way. Like, again, going back to what I said, where I didn't just say, please, please get up, you know, please do what I say. But I was like, you know, no, I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm starting to feel a little stressed, you know, and I really want to help you get ready this morning, but I'm not sure what to do. You know, I think that vulnerability makes families feel like, oh, I can't say that because then they'll walk all over me. But I think once you start having and creating this space where everyone gets to say, I'm frustrated, not just you, but your kid gets to say, well, mom, you know what? I'm frustrated, too, because you keep coming in here asking me to do it. And I know how to get ready. You know, we can all kind of talk about it in the morning. It's really hard to do that. I'll be honest with you, which is why I work with families, you know, when it's not those tense moments to kind of build in some of that language and build in some of that ideology. So that way, when those tense moments come, it doesn't feel so forced. It doesn't feel like you're just trying really hard to you know, get those those words out, but you really actually know in your heart that this is how I'm going to get my child ready in the morning. You know in your heart that if I kind of listen to their needs and state mine, me and my child can both kind of figure out a really healthy way to get to get it together for the morning. I like that. So it's the parent is teaching the child that they're working together in, you know, a loving relationship instead of... Um, you do what I say because I'm the adult. And if you don't, I'm going to force you to do what I say. And that doesn't and feel it, good for anyone, including no, the parent. It doesn't. And I think going back to some of, you know, you, you kind of mentioned a few words that I hear a lot, you know, disrespect. And I think really kind of getting, when parents get to that idea that you're disrespecting me, the communication kind of stops because you feel um, defensive that you're being disrespected. Mm-hmm. So I try to reframe the word disrespect and kind of look at what else could be happening in that situation. Is it literally disrespect? Because sometimes, yes, I agree that kids can be disrespectful, but in the morning time, I can guarantee that I'd say nine times out of 10, your kid's not trying to be disrespectful. They're just tired or they might be feeling some other underlying things about you and their kind of hesitancy to get up and get ready is their way to get back at you, if you will, because of whatever under, so maybe last night you guys had an argument and they went to sleep mad at you. So now I'm going to make you late because I can, you know, yeah. like that you can kind of start to look at what else could be going on. And in my coaching, as well as in my therapy, I try to help families figure out what that underlying thing is. Is it just tiredness because that sleep schedule kind of solution, or is it that you guys are constantly arguing every night and your kid and you are going to be angry at each other every night? And so you guys both wake up trying to pretty much sabotage each other, you know, very under underlying and it's not on the surface. So when you look at those type of solutions and you deal with them outside of the um, outside of the tense moments and you give families and kids that kind of idea, what can I say? How can I share what I'm feeling? Those tense moments, yeah. they have, but you can move through them a little bit smoother. Love it. Um, I, you know, it takes away the power struggle. Yes, because yes. it's not about you. It, again, in, in um, the nonviolent child raising, right, is this idea of power with versus power over. So I'm not over you, but we are together. We both share this power. We both share kind of this, this the solution or the, the road to that solution together. Both of us can figure out how to get us out the door in the morning. It's not just me saying do, 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 but it's you saying, well, you know what, maybe can I skip shower and just take a shower tonight? Okay, that might speed it up. Let's do that. So then you say, no, everyone has to take a shower every morning. You know, maybe we can look at what that looks like, you know, in terms of, well, if I take the shower out and have showers at night, that might speed up our morning. You know, so if I get everybody's clothes ready at night versus trying to find the shoes in the morning, that might speed up our morning, you know, and it's trying to look for those type of solutions because again, it's power with not power over. Right. If the parents just stuck on, no, everyone has to take a shower in the morning because that's what I think has to happen. And I can't change my way of doing things, even if it's not what makes the most sense for all of us. You know, it's that being more flexible. And I think that children are sometimes disrespectful when they feel that the parents don't hear them, don't listen, don't care what they think, and they have no control. Right. 
and that's their way to get their voice heard. That it's a it's a way to get my needs met. So my voice isn't being heard. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do X or Y so that way you finally hear me. Yeah, that's so true. Love it. Well, the parents in Huntington Beach are very lucky that you are out there to help them. Um, and I hope and think from knowing you, I think that there will be more ways that people will eventually be able to use your services, even if they're not in Huntington Beach, I hope. Because um, you have so much good information to share and you're so obviously very knowledgeable and passionate on the subject of parenting and helping families. Thank you. So um, is there any um, book resource that you could recommend for people who can't get to you where you are? I do, actually. And I just will say that that on my on the website, I actually have um, helpful resources and I actually have a whole um, section of helpful books that I think are really helpful in terms of they they kind of have parenting as a relationship, as the focus of what they're talking about. So I won't say any off the top of my head. Okay. Say, but I think that if you go there, it's um, on parenting resources or resources, and just kind of look at helpful parenting books. Um, I think that that would be really helpful to to kind of direct people to, just because I think there are a few books there that I really do recommend. I do think that they have again that parenting as a relationship, that pa- power over. I mean, that power with versus power over kind of perspective that I think a lot of parents will benefit from. Thank you. That's even better if you have a whole list of resources on your website. Um, so I will post a link to your website in the article, um, that will go with this podcast and, um, also a link to, if it's okay, I'd like to link to your blog post that you had specifically on the subject of nonviolent parenting. I think you called it nonviolent child rearing. Okay. (laughs) Want to get my facts straight. No problem. So um, if it's okay, I'll put a link to that too. And I think um, a lot of people will benefit from hearing what you had to say in this interview, as well as um, looking at your website and the resources that you have available. So I'm hoping that some people who are listening, who are therapists and want to direct their clients to get more information, can send them to your website. And um, obviously parents in your local area, like I said, they're so lucky to have your in-person services available. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today and telling me about that. It's very exciting. Thank you for having me, Laura. It's a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more, visit Laura's website, www.lauraregan.com lcswc.com